0: week and I could not move at all. I tried to call, you know, my my kid's father at that time just to let him know what I was experiencing. And I was like, is this because of pregnancy? I, I was just really, you know, unaware of what I was going through. And he was just like, just lay down and, you know, just rest a little bit. Maybe it's the after effect of pregnancy. It was my time to present. I was so nervous because I really hate getting up in front of anyone and and just speaking and talking, a little shy. All of a sudden, I just became weak in my knees and I couldn't stand. And then I had some of my classmates see what was going on with me. And within seconds, I had a really, really bad headache. I started to, again, feel weakness and numbness on the left side of my body, my vision. I couldn't see, I was losing my vision. And then I started noticing that I was kind of mumbling. Like, I I couldn't get my words out. So I was trying to tell my classmates, like, I can't see you all. Like, I really have a, a bad headache, but I could not get my words out. And that night, they came in. It was maybe like three, four different doctors. And they told me that there was blood on my brain. They told me that I had just had a brain hemorrhage or that I had a brain hemorrhage two weeks prior. So I let them know that I was sent home, you know, from ER. They told me that those signs and symptoms
1: were because of the pregnancy. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear, and welcome to the fourth season of Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. Cardiovascular diseases are the global leading cause of death, accounting for more than 18 million deaths around the world in 2019. In America, 17% of deaths related to cardiovascular disease were caused by stroke. In this episode, we'll hear from Simbi Anima-Shawn from Atlanta, who suffered a stroke at the age of 31.
0: Life before my brain injury, I was teaching. I had just started teaching in 2008 after I graduated from college. And I was working out regularly, you know, going to the gym, hanging out with friends. I thought I was healthy and I I mean, I pretty much lived a healthy lifestyle, you know, just trying to eat the right things and, you know, just meditating and going to church every Sunday. I had two incidents where I had a stroke. The first one I did not know about. The second one, I became aware what I had going on. So in January 2014, I found out that I was pregnant with my first child. It was actually on New Year's Day. And it was, you know, pretty much the most exciting time of my life. I, had, I didn't have any kids. I was 30 years old, working every day. And like I said, just living a normal lifestyle for a young, a young lady of my age. And maybe a couple of weeks later, I ended up having a miscarriage while I was teaching my students at work. And, you know, it was, it was just really the most uh, devastating time of my life because, like I mentioned before, I really wanted kids. And to lose my first child just really put me in a depressed mode. So after I had the miscarriage, I, I stayed home for maybe a week or so from work. I didn't have a desire to even be there or even to interact with other people or to have to share what actually happened with me. But while I was home during that time, my body was really weak and I could not move at all. I tried to call, you know, my, my kid's father at that time just to let him know what I was experiencing. And I was like, is this because of pregnancy? I, I was just really, you know, unaware of what I was going through. And he was just like, just lay down and, you know, just rest a little bit. Maybe it's the after effect of the pregnancy. So I just laid down on the couch because, like I said, I was home alone and I didn't have anyone to call. Or I was really embarrassed to call anyone to let me know what had happened.
1: A few months later... Symbi experienced a second stroke.
0: Fast forward to the summer that year, I ended up moving to Ohio to be with my uh, significant other. And I was teaching. I started school. I think it was the end of the semester. And we had to present our final project during class. And because it's grad school, it was maybe like seven or eight o'clock in the evening. Because, you know, most times graduate students are working all day and then they take classes in the evening. So we met at 7 p.m. that night on the day that I actually had my my stroke. It was my time to present. I was so nervous because I really hate getting up in front of anyone and and just speaking and talking. I'm a little shy. All of a sudden, I just became weak in my knees and I couldn't stand. And then... I had some of my classmates see what was going on with me. And within seconds, I had a really, really bad headache. And I'm I'm telling my classmates, like, I, I can't, I, I don't know what's going on. Like, I don't feel good. I have a really bad headache. And they just, like, okay, let, can we walk you to the bathroom? You know, just to, you know, help you and see what's going on. So they tried to help me to the bathroom. They had to literally carry me to the bathroom because I was so weak and I could not, move at all. I couldn't walk at all. So on my way to the restroom is where I started to experience other signs. And at that time, I didn't know what I, I didn't know I was having a stroke, but I started to, again, feel weakness and numbness on the left side of my body, my vision. I couldn't see, I was losing my vision. And then I started noticing that I was kind of mumbling, like I, I couldn't get my words out. So I was trying to tell my classmates, like, I can't see you all, like, I really have a, a bad headache, but I could not get my words out to let them know. So they ended up taking my phone and asking me if I wanted them to call the ambulance. And I was like, no, just call my significant other so that he can come and get me, you know, from class and take me to the hospital. So maybe about 10, 15 minutes later, he was there immediately. And he had to, like, pick me up and walk me to the car. And he ended up taking me to the nearest ER emergency room in that city. They took me right on in, took me to a room, and they asked me, they asked me all these different questions. And I was just, again, letting them know the signs that I was having, severe headache, weakness, numbness, vision loss. And of course, I was having difficulty even speaking to them. And then I just started to feel unsteady. So they ended up taking, as they do most women, taking a urine sample, taking some blood, And they come back in the room maybe 10 minutes later and they're like, Oh, you're having all these symptoms because you're pregnant. I'm like, This is because I'm pregnant. So they sent me home on my way home. I was so dizzy and I I just felt so sick. I told my significant other, I said, please just stop, stop, you know, on the side. Like I have to vomit. So I vomited for literally four or five minutes, just vomiting. You know, he took me home because, again, we were released by doctors saying that these signs and symptoms were because of the pregnancy. So I stayed home. I couldn't go to work. I stayed home for literally two weeks, just in the bed, couldn't move, um, not knowing what was going on. So finally, because nothing improved, he told my significant other told me that he was taking me to another doctor. So he ended up taking me to another hospital in Ohio. And from there, I had to, again, tell them all the different signs and symptoms and things that I had been experiencing. They did their physical examination where they, you know, they hit my knees to, to see if it would have a reaction. Of course, no reaction. They was like, well, can we perform an MRI on you? And I let them know at the time that I was pregnant. And I was like, well, ma'am, we want to see what's going on internally. So please let us, do. you know, they didn't say please, but they they pretty much, tried to convince me to have the MRI so that they could see what was going on internally because I know that they knew, but they couldn't let me know at that time because it wasn't, you know, official. So we ended up doing the MRI. And that night they they told me that I would need to stay at the hospital for a couple of days, on, you know, while they ran some more tests. And that night they came in, it was maybe like three, four different doctors. And they told me that, there was blood on my brain. They told me that I had just had a brain hemorrhage or that I had a brain hemorrhage two weeks prior. So I let them know that I was sent home, you know, from ER. They told me that those signs and symptoms were because of the pregnancy. And they was like, no ma'am, you've had a brain hemorrhage. And they also let me know that they had discovered like an old blotch of blood on my brain. So I had a brain hemorrhage back then too.
1: Coming up, Simbi on her difficulties receiving surgery. July, I was supposed to have the,
0: the gamma knife radio surgery. Find out I was pregnant. You cannot have the procedure done if you are pregnant. So I had to put the procedure on hold. But then I found out that the baby had no heartbeat. So that was the third miscarriage. They said, well, let's wait until next month. Let's give your body some time to heal. And so when August came around, I found out I was pregnant again
1: and writing her book.
0: The name of my book is called The Power of Healing. It's a story of loss and victory. I focus on the challenges I had with my miscarriage. You know, just the pain and the hurt of having those. And I also talk about, you know, the incidents with the stroke. I wrote the book because I just want to be supportive to those people that have experienced
1: similar uh, situations let's hear about Simbi's stroke recovery plan.
0: I stayed in the hospital. I had already had the brain hemorrhage two weeks prior. I had survived. So I stayed in the hospital maybe four days. I think they kept me there three or four days just to run more tests um, and just to see actually what was going on in my brain. So the AVM had done some damage to my brain tissue, but it wasn't bad where, you know, I would not survive the stroke. So during the three days, I had to have more tests. They had to take more blood. They were taking blood maybe every two hours and just giving me medication. I still slightly had a mild headache. They even brought a therapist in there They thought I brought someone who could help me, you know, start learning because I couldn't walk. I couldn't get up on my own. So they wanted to start that process as well. And I mean, eventually, maybe, like I said, four days, they didn't keep me long. Four days later, of course, I had a treatment plan where, you know, I would have to have a procedure done. At that time, they they gave me two choices, whether it was invasive or non-invasive. So they sent me home with a treatment plan. I would need to go to OT and, you know, I had some decisions that I had to make. Once I left the hospital, it was a lot to process because I was still pregnant and to them the pregnancy wasn't important. I was the first initial thing was to see exactly what was going on with the baby. So I set up an appointment where I had to have an ultrasound. So that particular day I found out, you know, that the baby no heartbeat. So that was the second miscarriage that I had had. So that was hard to process. But then I had to decide whether I wanted to have invasive surgery or non-invasive. So I kind of went with the non-invasive surgery. Gamma knife, radio surgery is the name of the procedure that I had. March f- 2015, I started occupational therapy. So I was going to occupational therapy every day because I was determined not to feel sorry for myself because I I had laid in the bed for almost two months feeling sorry for myself and really not being able to process what had just happened to me. I couldn't take care of myself anymore. Like my significant other was there to take care of me and bathe me and feed me, brush my hair, you know, wash my face, brush my teeth. And I was used to doing those things on my own. So like I said, it it was a lot to process during that time. And after those two months, I was able to walk again on my own. I started driving. I was starting to feel really good about myself. So July, I was supposed to have the the gamma knife radio surgery. Find out I was pregnant. You cannot have the procedure done if you are pregnant. So I had to put the procedure on hold. But then I found out that the baby had no heartbeat. So that was the third miscarriage. They said, well, let's wait until next month. Let's give your body some time to heal. And so when August came around, I found out I was pregnant again. And again, no heartbeat. So what I decided to do, I was just really tired of the pattern of getting pregnant and having to put the procedure on hold and find out the baby had no heartbeat. So I took this steroid for women that causes you not to be able to get pregnant. So I I took that and I went ahead and proceeded with getting the gamma knife.
1: Ready for surgery in September. Simbi decided to write about her experiences.
0: The name of my book is called The Power of Healing. It's a story of loss and victory. I focus on the challenges I had with my miscarriages. You know, just the pain and the hurt of having those. And I also talk about, you know, the incidents with the stroke. I wrote the book because I just want to be supportive to those people that have experienced similar uh, situations who are not as resilient as I am. And I know that, you know, there's tons of people out there who are living in silence, who are scared, who are embarrassed, and who don't have any support. They don't have a support system. So I want to be their support system, whether they're just watching and they're just listening to my story, whether they read my book or whether they you know, visit my website, I want to be their support system. So that's why I wrote the book. I know it's easy to give up and just to think that what you're going through, you're the only one that's going through it. And I just want them to know that they're not alone. Like, we're all here together. We're a family. And I just want them... To just keep pushing and, you know, be resilient in, in in the way that they can. You know, I can't expect for people to be resilient how I was, but just know that you survive and whatever your place is, post-stroke, just keep pushing and just keep living life. Just for family members, the, the best thing you can do is not to coddle a stroke survivor, but just be there in any way that they are asking you to be. So for me, just calling or even just coming to check on me meant the world to me. Family members, if you are going to support a stroke survivor, they need to see you. They need to hear from you. Okay, they need to know that you love them.
1: Simbi went through an incredibly traumatic few years following her strokes, and she's written about her experiences in the book, The Power of Healing, as a way to support others. Thanks for supporting us at Stroke Stories. Please do subscribe on your preferred provider and rate and comment on the episodes you hear because that does help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, please contact us via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are always open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.